This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. I think the key to life is to just continue learning and being curious about things all the time. If you're interested in something, it makes you interesting. It sparks something in us that I think is necessary at like any age, no matter how simplistic or how complex it is. Hey everyone, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. I'm so glad that you are here today. Oh my gosh, you are in for a treat. You are in for a treat. We are currently in our For the Love of You series, and we really wanted to explore the various ways that we can learn to honor and care for ourselves. Everything from addressing trauma, right, to paying attention to our bodies and our minds and our spirits. We're like running the gamut of what it looks like to be healthy and whole and nurtured and nourished because that means we are the best possible version of ourselves so that we are better in our relationships. We are kinder in our families and in our marriages. And the trickle-down effect is so massive. So one question I'm asking a lot throughout this series is, why is this important? Why does this matter? Because I think self-care is kind of a trope and it has been attached to a lot of kind of lame ideas of indulgence maybe, or it's lost the depth of meaning that it deserves. And so how is it that we can focus some time on our own health and wholeness without feeling selfish? And I think it just comes back to this. We just cannot love or take care of others well if we have not taken care of ourselves. It's just true. When we walk around depleted, when we walk around carrying trauma in our bodies unaddressed, when we fail to give our bodies literally the basic things that our bodies need, food, rest, tenderness, it's like we're little walking atomic bombs everywhere we go, just ready, right? At any moment to like detonate. There's just nothing left. There's no well to draw from. And then it it comes out in, in anxiety sometimes or in depression. It comes out in our bodies hurt and ache. We feel lonely. And so 
this is a conversation. If you've been kind of in my ecosystem for any amount of time that I am learning in new ways. So this has been a recurring theme around our community for some, for a couple of years now, because I am really and sincerely learning how to take care of myself in nurturing ways for the first time here in my forties. What does it mean to honor my body? What does it look like to prioritize wholeness? What do I need to be well? And these are questions that I've just honestly not ever asked because I am a, I am a go mode type, right? I am, you put your head down and you produce, you get it done. You don't complain. And I, I just have a large capacity for this. So I'm, I've been able to do it. I've been able to just grind it out, but so much of life has forced us out of that. And I'm glad for it. And I'm grateful for me, especially of course, this last calendar year where I've had to say, whoa, the toll of loss and grief and suffering and, and endlessness is taking on my body is serious. Like my body, you know, was waving all the red flags. We are in trouble here. We need you to do better. (laughs) My body's like, you have to do better which is why, of course, I decided to go to Maine for three weeks. I'm like, my body has telling me I need rest. I need respite. I need a slower pace. I need fresh air. I need outdoors. And I listened. I listened. And the ways that that has nurtured me, I, I will all never get to the bottom of it, but you don't have to go somewhere else to do this. This is within us. This is, we have this possibility at all times to deeply honor our minds, bodies, and souls. So in this vein, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome the one and only Anthony Porosky to the show. Guys, Anthony, <laughs> he's so dear. You're going to love this episode. God, he is so darling. Anthony, the food and wine expert on Netflix's Queer Eye, that Anthony, right? You know who this incredible person is, this incredible human being. He is part of the fab five that helps the everyday person understand the power of food. And of course, how it keeps us alive, but also how it helps us live and bond and serve and build community. And I think even more than that, the work he does on the show helps people understand why taking care of themselves matters, why it matters to them, why it matters to the people who love them. And so today we're going to dive into all of that. Just in case you've been living under a rock and don't know him, on top of filming an Emmy award-winning TV show, Queer Eye, Anthony is also a New York Times bestselling author and is himself an Emmy award winner. His first book is Anthony in the Kitchen, and it's his incredible cookbook. I have it. It was released in 2019. And honestly, guys, the majority of those recipes contain less than five ingredients. So it is so easy to follow, even if you're brand new to cooking, brand new to the kitchen. And he recently published a brand new cookbook titled Anthony, Let's Do Dinner, which you might remember popping up as a bonus episode here on the show. And if you haven't listened to that one yet, take a little scroll back and and hit play on that because it's he and I nerded out over food. And what we love and what our favorite things are and what our favorite foods are and what our favorite tools are. And it just could have gone on for a million years. So he is as kind and lovely and generous as you would hope he is. He is 
He's the real deal. You guys, I absolutely loved talking to him. I did not want our conversation to end. So I'm so happy to share it with you. So here he comes. Without further ado, the absolutely lovely Anthony Porosky. Okay. Well, I'm super, 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 super happy to welcome to the show. Anthony, hi. Hi. <laughs> it's so nice uh, to meet you. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you too. Just have so loved you for so long and your whole little squad just means the world to so many of us. And so I'm delighted to meet you. Plus I'm a food person. So we're going to get to that. Love. Yeah. Deeply, deeply going to get to that. And not just a food person, but you're an Austin food person. Oh yeah. And you know about that brand because you were here. Okay. So let's start here because most of us know you obviously from Queer Eye. And we're just lucky. We're just lucky that this show is happening on our watch, on our time. I've been in it from the beginning. I've missed zero. I've missed zero. None. I'm so invested. And so it was really fun to talk to Bobby about sort of the origin story of Queer Eye and the, the melding together of you five. I'd love to hear you talk about it because it was a deal. Like the whole interview process and oh, yeah. like, it made me have butterflies when like Bobby was talking about how nerve wracking it was and how kind of weird it was. And you're just kind of cobbled together. And can you like, I just want to hear from the beginning. How'd you even know about it? Yeah. I would like to just preface with whenever we do group interviews during like media weeks for like new seasons, we all have completely different stories and the numbers differ greatly. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, It's a thing. One of us thinks that there were 500 people at the auditions and the other extreme is 80. So (laughs) do with that information what you will, but it's kind of a symbol for the five of us, frankly. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's really funny. We all see the world the way we do. But anyway, basically for me, I found out a manager friend of mine told me one day we were having coffee and he was mentioning like, hey, did you hear that Queer Eye for the Straight Guy? is being rebooted on Netflix. They want a diverse cast. The tagline at the at the time was turning the red states pink. <laughs> and he was like, I think this is something that you should audition for. And I completely like, just kind of like, my, I think my hands got clammy right away because, you know, two two things that were kind of triggering for me there. One was working with food in a professional capacity because it's something that's always been very personal and very intimate and very near and dear to my heart. And then the second was I, um, you know, I still consider myself even as like a public person. Now I consider myself pretty private and my sexuality was just something that I've never really like discussed openly. I mean, with close friends and family and all of that. Sure. But it's just, again, also something that I kept really close to my heart. So I was met with fear by those two things. And I'm, I'm terrified a lot in life, but I also really get off on fear and I try to run towards it because there's always something interesting to learn about yourself. So I decided to audition. You know, knowing, I don't know if you know this, but I was Ted Allen, my Queer Eye progenitor. He was the original food and wine expert on Queer Eye. And so I called him right away and he was like, he was like, oh, this is interesting. He was like, wait, he was like, but at the time I was working in a gallery with Art Deco and post-war art and furniture. He's like, you've always wanted to be an actor. So I've never really thought of you like working in food. Is this something that you've wanted for a long time? And I was like, honestly, it isn't. He was like, actually, he was like, I think it actually makes total sense. He was like, I don't think that they're looking for 
a chef. They want somebody that's relatable. That's kind of like an intermediary between a chef and somebody who like maybe doesn't really have a lot of knowledge in food and you kind of make it really accessible and, and you're knowledgeable enough about it. And I think this is something you should do. And so he called production, gave his blessing. And then I wanted to set myself up for success. So I asked to do my, my first Skype session in his kitchen. So I thought that would be kind of like a good icebreaker. And so the interview was supposed to last about 20 minutes. We were on with Ali Capriotti Grant, who's nominated for yet another the Incredible Women and Men at ITV who are nominated, I think it's third year running for best casting. So they not only cast us, but they cast all of the heroes and they spend months working on that. And so we spent like an hour and a half getting to know each other and we had a really great time. And then I got invited to LA and Bobby was actually the first person I met And so we were in this holding room at this like really big, like one of those big hotel conference rooms and everyone was sitting with like their own little bag or whatever. I literally showed up in jeans and a t-shirt, nothing else, which is very on brand. And I remember Bobby had like one of those tables, like the collapsible tables. And he had like seven colorful, like Easter egg colored, (laughs) bright neon suits and I went up to him and he didn't tell me that part. Oh, I'm sure oh, he did. So happy you bore witness to that. He uh, wasn't really happy uh-huh. about it because Bobby is very neutral. He loves black and white. He loves a nice little cream or a beige or a khaki. And I introduced myself. He told me that he was going in for interior design and I love design, well, particularly like furniture and art. And so I just started nerding out with him and getting to know him. Sure. And then what he was wearing, there was like a big disconnect with all the clothes that was laid out. I was like, what's up with the bright suits? And he was like, when they were, searching the internet for like uh, interior design candidates. He was like, they found an image of me at some party where I dressed up in bright colors. And it was like on page five of the Google search. He was like, and they coined me as that guy. And they wanted me to come with a bunch of bright suits. (laughs) So um, he wasn't too excited about it. So he was the first that I met. (laughs) And then the second I met was Karamo. We met him. It was like during like this like mingling cocktail-y situation. He came and introduced, he introduced himself to like literally everybody. He made sure to make sure that everybody knew his name and that he knew everybody's name. He's that guy. And then at one point I saw somebody just like fast paced walk. It was a run with really long hair across the room yelling, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? And then I looked at the, one of the casting associates and I was like, what's, what's he yelling about? Like, who's he looking for? like his assistant or like a person and she was like no he like lost his starbucks venti and he's just looking for it and he's anthropomorphizing his starbucks venti and so that was jvm of course god that's so perfect actually no tan i saw tan was the first one because i even though we didn't we hadn't really spoken i was on the treadmill in the at the hotel gym that morning trying to like just shake off all of any excess stress this is before i started meditation and that was kind of like my thing and I saw this guy come in perfectly cloth. And this is like 6, 6 a.m. With like, I could have sworn it was like a pressed sleeveless gym shirt. I believe you actually. And pressed shorts, t- t-shirt, shirt tucked into the shorts and like perfect clean tube socks, probably wearing them for the first time. And just like <laughs> clean, crisp <laughs> Nikes. And he was on the Stairmaster and he just like, he just looked so perfect. And then he came and he sat down next to me at breakfast during like the breakfast brunch and i just i didn't trust him he was too oh, nice so pretty. He, was t- he was too uh-huh. nice he was just so joyful oh, and cheerful yeah. and everything and he i can say this safely now because he said the exact same thing about me and it actually took us after like getting the job and everything a few months until one night 
we had bonded and he like walked me back to my room because I'm very aloof and I got lost in this like massive complex that we were living in in Midtown in Atlanta. And he like walked me back like a gentleman. And then I was like, oh, do you want to come in for a cup of tea? Not thinking he was going to say yes. And he was like, sure, I'll come in. And he walked in and I remember the look of fear on his face because when I was like decorating in quotes, the apartment, because I wanted to make it feel homey. I went to Ikea and I bought every single palm tree that I could possibly find. And I filled up the apartment. Like there was actually like a passage that you had to walk through. And I had Star Wars figurines that I got at Target just to make it seem like some really creepy, weird den. But it made me happy. And after like 12 hour shoot days, I want to be happy. And that's what makes me happy. So we had tea and he ended up staying. And Tan and I were both in bed by 10 p.m. usually. And we were both up until 2.30 or 3 in the morning getting to know each other. And we just like fell in love and became best friends instantly. Ah, uh, he's so dear. Yes. And you are too. I can see how you two nice people just can't imagine that anybody else is that genuine. <laughs> they must have an agenda, like they're psychopath. And he probably felt really scared when he saw those figurines. You he know, he terrified. probably just thought, I'm not getting out of here. He was like, this terrified. is it. He definitely this thought it I ends was. for me. He still thinks I'm a weirdo, but he definitely thought I was then. Okay. And so you've met everybody. But it just feels like such lightning in a bottle, almost just like absolute magic that the five of you pulled together. And so according to Bobby, that happened early in the process that you locked in and you were like something here about the chemistry is right on. And and is that right? Is that your memory? Because now that I know there was 80 or 500 (laughs) people, I don't know what to believe now. (laughs) It felt like a thousand. Uh-huh. I bet it did. At the time, being an out-of-work actor and going to auditions all the time, all you hear in these workshops is what casting directors always bring up, like chemistry. It's all about the chemistry. And when the four of them were in a room and it was like this testing room where there were just cameras everywhere and there was like a big projection screen and they would just put up images of like a guy in Crocs, a guy in cargo shorts, a guy eating a hot dog with ketchup, which I'm not about. I'm all about mustard. I love my ketchup, but it doesn't belong on a hot dog. And they like added me onto this group and we were like weirdly like finishing each other's sentences. And we were all kind of like complimenting each other, like one taking after the other. And it was, I remember David Collins, the show creator, along with Michael Williams and Rob Eric, David Collins was like running in like half circles. Like he had the zoomies, like a dog in the back. And he was just like, felt like really panicky and excited. And I saw the look on his face and I was like, holy shit. I'm like, this is what chemistry must feel like. I don't know these people. I've never met them before. I've never even heard of them. And we just have this like connection. So of course, Bobby, I can say it now because it's totally fine, but he definitely wasn't supposed to at the time. He somehow got all of our cell phones and started a group chat. It was either very confident or just pathologically delusional, but he started a a group chat called the Fab Five. And we've had that group chat since. Wow. Oh, I love that. And so I think it's so interesting. I like hearing you say that initially, like, cause you're, you're the food and wine expert, but that food was kind of tender to you Mm -hmm. and, and intimate and personal and not, not your sort of forward facing genre really. And so how did it feel to come in then in such a visible way? I mean, Gosh, when Queer Eye hit the scene, when you guys, with your first season, it was just, it's like, I don't know anybody who wasn't talking about it. I don't remember anybody who wasn't watching it, who wasn't 
enamored, who wasn't thrilled, who didn't love it. And it, and it cut across every demographic, like the straightest, most country fried chicken, Texas boys <laughs> were like watching it in like pure love. And so it just, we all loved it. And so I'm curious how that felt to you to, to now be considered essentially an expert, even though, I, as you say, it was more of like a, a softer touch expert, but right. um to so many millions of watching eyes. Was that a weird transition for you? It was terrifying. I bet it was. I mean, you know, as I, as I get older, I think as I become more comfortable with myself and I get more confident in my work and my craft and all of the projects that I take on, I feel like I compartmentalize certain parts of my life less. My first relationship with a guy, it was very like, I had my gay friends, I had that relationship, and then I still had my straight college buddies that were in a band and it was like nothing intersected it was all like I was a different person in every setting and I thought that's how I was meant to live my life that's that's it it wasn't sustainable for me at least and I think I was kind of like thrust into into having to change that because when you lose your anonymity and when people know a lot of things about you you're kind of like forced to grow it's very like sink or swim and I decided to kind of like swim yeah, it was like a forced growing up in a sense. And it was at the beginning, it was absolutely terrifying. I think for the first couple of years, and even, you know, after certain parts of COVID, when we were all like quarantining and everything, I had a lot of days where I would forget that this was what my life was like now that like, you could go outside and you can be recognized by somebody or I kind of get like surprised at first. And then I have to remember like, oh, right, this isn't just going to go away. It's not just a thing that like you can turn on or off. And the electricity definitely r- runs higher when a new season comes out. And now I kind of feel it and I know how to prepare for it and more therapy sessions and more meditation whenever stuff like that comes out. Cause I'm very, I'm like a very sensitive, highly sensitive person. And so I get very affected by things. Yeah. To say nothing of the fact that not only are you now known and visible, but beloved, and that's a whole different category because, because people love you. They love you and they feel like they know you because you have this like nurturing presence on the show and kind of this gentle way about you. And so I can imagine that it's like a fever pitch almost like people probably run you down and like practically get to like second base with you. I know that they do, (laughs) don't they? It is really interesting. I have a lot of actor friends who, when people come up to them, it's usually there's like, they maintain some kind of like, a certain social distancing and it's sort of like, Hey, I loved you in this project that you did, or like, you were so funny in this, you were so terrible. They have like some social composure, some social social composure. And it's also like, they know them as the character. And they also know that they are in fact, like a a, a person detached from that character. But on Queer Eye, you know, I can safely say for the five of us, we really are ourselves on the show, you know, a little more caffeinated, a little edited for sure. And like certain parts are definitely highlighted, but that is who we are at the end of the day. And so when people meet us, they feel like they really know us. So it's very, not these days as much, but especially prior to COVID, people just come and they immediately grab and they immediately want to hug. And it's just like, and I'm like, a, I'm like a somewhat affectionate person, but at the same time, it's kind of like, I have to like adjust and like put into my mind, like, oh wait, okay, I don't know this person, but this person thinks that they really know me personally. They're not aware of the fact that I don't know them right now. And they're just like really excited. And this is kind of like, it's like if I saw like a unicorn or something and I would just like get really excited and I would want to get really close to it. So (laughs) it's, it's, yeah, that, that has been like 
adapting to that and just like trying to be like present and really like being there for in the moment for that person is something that I definitely has been like a thing that I've been learning. (laughs) I think people are so drawn to you for a number of reasons, but my suspicion is that one of them is the way in which you guide your, what do we call the the people that are the heroes, the Heroes. way that you guide your heroes into self nurture through food It doesn't just feel clinical. It doesn't feel like, let me teach you how to chop an avocado. It it feels like you're teaching them that what, that food matters and it matters to them. And they're deserving of beautiful food, incredible ingredients. They're deserving of putting it together and like serving their friends and family. So it, it feels like the sum is greater than its parts. And I think people are drawn to that. The series that we're doing right now is kind of called For the Love of You. And I also find food an enormous part of this, like, and not just because it fuels us to go to keep going, but because it's precious and it's wonderful. And it's a center point of like our little families and our little communities. And so I would love to hear your kind of your food point of view and what it is. How how is it that this came to be important to you too? Why growing up, did you have like, was food important to your family? How did this work for you? Definitely. We are all of us in my immediate family and even my extended family and like cousins and like we are all food obsessed. I remember any family holiday that we took with my parents growing up, like everything centered around like, which market are we going to? Which restaurants are we going to go to? If my parents went on a trip, just the two of them, when they went to Morocco and they came back, we were eating Moroccan food and tagine for like a month. Like it was just, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. how it was. And that's the yeah. type of person that I am as well. I come from a pretty dysfunctional family, but like the most cherished moments that I have with them when we all lived together when we were kids, before my parents and I moved to the US when I was in junior high to West Virginia and my two older sisters stayed in Montreal. The most important part was always like sitting at the table. So breakfast was always a thing. My father and mother would cut like a massive spread of like fresh fruit and we're Polish. So we always have a lot of cold cuts for breakfast and like different types of breads and like honey whipped with like room temperature butter and a bit of flake salt and like really nice jams. It was like, we brought all of it out and dinner was the same thing. And so that was, I think like my favorite thing to experience with my family. And I think that was embedded in me from, from a very young age, that and the fact, like I was raised in Montreal, which is a very diverse multicultural city, like elementary school. There was this tradition called the the buffet des nations, the buffet of nations. So parents would come in with their, with their kids and bring in a dish from their respective country. And we would all sit in the cafeteria and kind of like partake in this meal. So like exposure to diversity of food and culture and multiculturalism, again, something that was like embedded in me from since I was like a little kid. And so that's kind of like fueled for me. It's like, it's the ultimate way, like how to connect with people, how to connect with myself. I mean, like food, it's like, I get emotional when I think about it because it's like food is literally everything. We need it to live, yes, but it's like it connects us to where we come from. If you are curious about your roots and your heritage and where your, you know, where your grandparents and where your ancestors came from, you can find out and then you can explore the cuisine from that area and then you can make something. The connections that we have with our grandmothers and our grandfathers and the food that they have, no matter how humble it is, 
you know, people talk about like their grandma's, you know, pumpkin pie or whatever it is. And like, even if it's not delicious, it's still so sacred to them because we remember exactly what it tasted like. And when you know where you come from, I think that you know more about who you are and that makes you a more confident person. When you know how to make something in the kitchen, when you take that time, it makes you, I think it prepares you for the world and it teaches you how to, how to nurture other people and how to take care of other people and, and how to like share that. And, and partake in a meal and the breaking of the bread and all of the rituals that come with that. And that goes across cultures. And that's a fascinating thing. It's like, unless you're Martha Stewart or Ina Garden, no one knows everything about food. Like there's always something that you can learn, right? And that's what I love about it is that it's like, you're const I'm constantly learning. There are always new techniques. There are always new ingredients, new spices that I'm not as familiar with. And, you know, even during the pandemic, when I think my boyfriend came to visit me in Austin, he came for my birthday. He was meant to stay for like three to four days. He was like, I think things in New York are pretty serious. I'm going to pack for like five or six days just in case. He ended up spending three and a half months and we moved in together and we were just dating for not even a year. And, you know, I would went quickly. I needed to find like, what are the rituals going to be? And he loves his eggs. So I would make soft scrambled eggs every morning and we would eat that together. And then I would make dinner at night, you know, when restaurants were closed. And it was just like a really wonderful way for us to connect and just to have that experience together, you know, reminiscent of like what I had with my family when I was a kid. So these are all the things that matter to me too. These are things that are so meaningful to me. So I'm curious what you've learned, like, from your specific perspective as the food and wine person on the show, as you met your heroes, and now at this point, you know, you've got a whole gaggle of them. You've got this deep well of experiences. What did you generally find? And of course, everybody's stories are wildly different, but what did you generally find were the key hangups with the heroes when it came to food, when it came to feeding themselves, when it came to their confidence or lack of in the kitchen? Like, what did you begin to notice? Because I think there's a greater story here at play, which is probably what you found on the show are some of the same reasons the rest of us would struggle in the kitchen or feel intimidated by it or not care enough about ourselves to think we matter for that sort of intake. What were some of the patterns that you saw that you would work to help them overcome? One thing I think I, I clocked this maybe two seasons in, I would say like right as we started our third season, because the first two were filmed in Atlanta and we filmed those consecutively. And I realized that there are basically two categories of people that I get to meet on Queer Eye. There's one category is like the Neil Reddy. I don't know if you remember him from season one, Saving Sasquatch. And he was someone who had a tremendous amount of knowledge about food, more you know, kitchen equipment that I have in my New York City apartment, used to be so passionate about hosting and having people over and he kind of lost his way. He you know, said himself, he like suffered from depression and kind of like locked himself up or less locked himself away from like other people and kind of distanced himself and, and just like lost that spark, that passion, that like excitement for, for preparing a meal. And was just like ordering food. And then there's this other type of person who like Abby, the young activist in Philly, she comes to mind or even, you know, Corey, the cop in season one, where they're just, they're afraid. They're intimidated by it. They don't really know how to even start. And they, they eat for basically sustenance. And it's like my, I'm, it's just about calories and I'm going to eat my granola bar that has a bit of protein, has a bit of fiber. It checks the boxes. I'm fine. Those are the people at first that frustrated me the most. Cause I was like, how can you see the world that way? Like food is so exciting and it's so much more than that. But what I realized is like, when you start talking to those people 
it's a bit more of a search into like, well, tell me about the people that matter in your life. Like, who do you want to show up for? And let's talk about like your self-esteem and your relationship with food. What was it like growing up? Like, did you have anybody who would prepare a meal for you? Did you have some kind of like a Sunday night ritual situation? And those are the ones that are, it's so fascinating for me to unlock because you realize that it's like, it's never just about like, it's a lot more than that. You just have to have that conversation with them. And that's been like a through line throughout the seasons that I've, that I've definitely really noticed. It is a case by case thing. It's like, you know what? I, I can't help myself. I always go in, we get very little information on our heroes. I have like a very basic checklist that I ask. Like, I want to know about your aversions, things that you're like deathly allergic to. Cause I definitely don't want to be doing shellfish with a paella with somebody who has a shellfish allergy. <laughs> you know, once I have that information, I already start to think like I have like five or six different ideas brewing of like what it is that I want to make. And then you meet the person and you realize that it's not at all what you expected. And it's like, that's what I always try to remind myself. It's not about me trying to come in there with, you know, an imposing as to like what it is that I want to make, but it's meeting them where they're at. And for one person, it's going to be guac. And for another, it's going to be something a little more complex and roasting a fish. And for others, it's somewhere in between. And it's, I just take it case by case. I don't come in with any type of like, if they tell me that they want to eat healthier, great. I can do that. I have enough knowledge about that. And if I don't, I'm going to get in touch with a dietitian or a nutritionist who's going to help us with that. And we'll figure it out together. And we'll go on this like little discovery together. If somebody's never been to a farmer's market, great. I'm going to take you there and I'm going to show you that it's not that intimidating. It's actually like the funnest place in the world. I love to hear this. I was curious if you ended up having a lot of control or say over how it is that you interacted with each hero, or if this was sort of preset by the people. And I just love to hear that you kind of go by touch, that you have a bit of an idea, but then you meet them and you feel it out. This must mean at some point you abandoned ship altogether, that you had one idea, you met the person and went, no, we're going to go a completely different direction. We would have an idea. And also like, our heroes, like you have to understand, like they aren't, these aren't people who are, you know, in the entertainment industry are like, like they're, they're real human beings with real jobs who've never been on camera before. And they have a relationship with our producer, which is like a really close relationship. And our producers are, have been so lovely throughout the past few years. And they stay in touch with these heroes as, as do we, there's a certain level of intimacy with them and a comfort level that they have. And then when they meet us, they might have more of a comfort level or they might be intimidated at first, especially now because they've seen us on the show. So they can be telling both of us completely different things. So if they mention to the producer, like, I really want to eat healthier, but they meet me and they're like, I've never made deep fried mac and cheese balls. That's never been a thing. But like, for example, and it's (laughs) sort of like, okay, there's a big disconnect here. Like, which one is it? So I go in and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to take this person like as they are. I'm not certainly not going to start being like, oh, well, you told so-and-so. I'm just going to go and ask open-ended questions, get as much information as I can, and then kind of like figure it out from there. So I, I really do try to treat it as case by case. That said, you know, we have to hunt out locations and restaurants that are available. So we always try to get two to three that we have on the go with the backup is always bringing them back to our loft where we have a functional kitchen and where we can do literally anything for the most part. So I am very lucky in, in, in my vertical, in my category, where I do get to be really open with that and, and kind of like really get to kind of explore because it just makes it diff- It's like the wild, wild west. We're just figuring it out as we go. You're, you're making up your own rules. Totally. So totally. you can break them when you want to break them. As we kind of land it here, I would love to hear you. There's a lot of people listening today 
who have a complicated or a shallow relationship with food. Generally speaking, what I hear from my community is that they never really learned. It wasn't a part of their like family culture growing up. That's so now they feel out of their depth and the kitchen's intimidating. And so I, I just love to hear your bit of advice and even like a bit of wonder because I'm with you. I'm like, what is better than food? Nothing, nothing is better. Like it is magic. It is delightful. It is not, I think it's, we've been painted back into a corner with so much like ridiculous food science and just obnoxious instruction. It's all competing and contradictory. It's just, everything's crazy. Like food doesn't have to be as crazy as we've made it or as hard as we've acted that it is, or as technical as maybe we're assuming it is. And so I just kind of like to hear you address that for the average home cook, you know, just like an ordinary person who would love to have a more like loving relationship with like food and preparation and gathering. I I do think that it, and this is a little more um, like broad strokes, but like, I think of, it's funny, you were just saying that. And I was thinking my, uh, my father's a physician. He, uh, he works in Vermont and he, he has this patient who comes in every once in a while for like checkups. And she is, I think she's 92 and she came in, she's American. And at 91, she started learning Russian. She's always wanted to learn Russian. This is amazing. And she decided she wants, and she always comes in and she's like always trying some kind of a new hobby or a new thing. I love her. I think the key to like, to life is to just continue learning and being curious about things all the time. If you're interested in something, it makes you interesting. It sparks something in us that I think is is necessary at like any age, no matter how simplistic or how complex it is. I've had a complicated relationship with my heritage. When I was growing up, when I was a little kid, it was like, okay to be Polish. It wasn't a really big deal. And then when I lived in a rural part of West Virginia, I had like an ethnic name. I brought weird food to school and suddenly I was embarrassed by that. And there was a lot of like shame that came from that. And I even like forgot most of my Polish when Polish was my first language. It's always spoke at home with my parents. And then when I got older, I suddenly got a little more curious about it. I was working in a Polish restaurant. And then during the pandemic, I actually started taking Zooms with the tutor out of Warsaw and trying to like learn back some of the Polish that I've forgotten. And it's brought me so much joy in just, it was a thing that I already knew that I was kind of like getting back. But my point is, I just think it's always important to continue learning. And I think with food, no matter how simplistic or how complex it is, like I would just encourage anybody who's listening to just be curious. Is there a thing that you've had that you just have no idea how it's made and, and, and you're just curious about it? Just start with that. Start with learning how to roast vegetables and spacing them out in a pan so that they get crispy and they get those perfect little brown edges. Learn how to cook your meat properly, how, how to, 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 to know the difference between well done and medium rare, how to not overcook fish. These things are, you know, you can get free videos on YouTube. That's where I go. And I watch demos all the time. Like that's where I get my joy. It doesn't have to be something that's necessarily that expensive. If you're, if you're eating chicken breasts and you're like, fish kind of like freaks me out, then learn a different way to cook your chicken. Learn that you can poach it. Learn that you can grill it. Learn that you can wrap it in things, that you can put it in a stew, that you can roast the whole chicken and save a whole bunch of money and then use the carcass to make a chicken broth so that if you get a cold, you'll have some beautiful like bone broth sitting in your freezer just waiting to be defrosted to like make you feel better. 
it just it, it it makes us more confident people and i think especially in the world that we're that that we're in right now and it's like when you experience people out there in the world who are a little intimidated or afraid of diversity and they don't understand other ways of thought or other cultures or religions or whatever it is like if you learn about it if you kind of like lean into it you realize that it's not that scary it's not that intimidating and there's and there's so many things that you can learn from it and it makes you a better person it makes you like a more passionate interesting person and i think food for me is like it's the ultimate nothing compares to it it's like you get to feed yourself you get to put something like really delicious in your mouth you get to feed somebody else and bring joy to them and make them feel like they're worthy and like they're important and like they're being taken care of and it's just it's so nurturing ugh yes it is it is and it, you're right there's the there's this communal upside to cooking i've got a bunch of kids and i love to cook and they're so they are delighted thankful eaters all the time. So we have this reciprocal thing constantly going because I love good food. Mm -hmm. And so if I make it, it's going to be good. Yeah. They love to eat it. You and then they're like, Hey mom. It. Yeah. They know all that you're in, putting care into it. It makes them feel special do. as kids. Like that affects their self-esteem. That's, That's going to affect the type of people that they're going to, the, the adults that they're going to become. And it's going to in, in turn affect the way that they treat their significant others in the future and their children and their loved ones. Like it's just, it's so, yeah. You're right. That just rolls right on downhill into an, a thousand other beautiful areas totally. where like we prioritize ourselves, the people that we love and they learn to do the same. Okay. I'm going to ask you these quick questions as we wrap this up. I'm asking all the guests in the, for the love of you series, this, do you have a favorite a favorite thing or maybe a tip top number one thing or whatever that you do to basically honor yourself, your like self-care. What do you do for you? Therapy. I've been going to a therapist since I was 17. I've had several. I'm working with a really fantastic one right now. And that's something, no matter how painful it is. And sometimes I feel like I'm not making any progress. And then suddenly the days that I think that I should quit and I should take a break, Whenever I address that, that's when I'll have like an epiphany or something like that. I'd say that's like the best thing that I can do for myself because it helps me with me. It helps me show up in my relationship. It's taught me how to be a better communicator, not to take things for granted that people understand what's going on in this like crazy little brain of mine. And it's, it's, it's been such an important part of my life. And it's something that it's the only thing that I give unsolicited advice to every single person in my life. I'm like, go to therapy. You should go to therapy. God, me too. If you could even know how much I bang that drum, it's all I ever talk about. And don't you love it when, you know, sometimes you feel kind of stalled out with your therapist. Same for me. Like, am I getting, am I moving? Am I still, and then we're on a, we're in a moment and my therapist, Carissa will, she'll kind of, I know when she's just about to fillet me because she'll just kind of lean forward and be like, Hmm, I wonder if, you would be willing to explore why you just said that. And I'm like, God, I we showed my cards. <laughs> I know when she leans forward, I'm in trouble. Yeah. I know like that's it. Yeah, the, the jig is up. And so, yes, gosh, thank goodness that they just dig. They mm -hmm. get in there, man. Okay. This is the next question. 
Cause again, this is, we're just exploring what it means to honor our own selves mm-hmm. and to take good care of ourselves. So thus we can keep doing it. So what would you say is your favorite thing about yourself? Like, what do you love about who you are or how you're wired or how you operate in the world? If you would have asked me this, like three years ago, there would be like a cutout of me through my door and I would just be like running for the hills right now. Cause nothing would make me more uncomfortable to to answer, I would say that I'm loving. I love to love. And whether it's family members, whether it's my my friends, whether it's my boyfriend or like my dog, like I love to let people know how special they are. It brings me like, there's nothing that like warms my heart more. Ugh, that's so fantastic. What a good answer. Here's the last question. I actually ask all my guests this question. It's, I heard it from a priest years and years ago, and I just was never able to stop thinking about it because it was so, such an interesting question. And you can answer this however you want, by the way, this can, it can be earnest and sweet, or it can be absurd. Um, And we've, we get them all. So her question is, what is saving your life right now? Mm. Yeah. What is saving my life right now? I would say taking my dog to the dog park every day. Yeah. Dogs are so life-giving. Tell us about your dog. She is a rescue from APA. She was meant to be a foster. And then when we were leaving Austin, I went for like a free checkup. Because when you have a foster, I'm a little cheap. And I wanted a free checkup. And they were like, well, you were just here a few months ago. I was like, yeah, I just wanted a little tune up, make sure everything's working properly because we're taking a road trip back to New York. And they're like, yeah, you can't take a foster out of state. And I was like, I guess I'm adopting her. This is my new dog. um, Mm -hmm. So her name is Neon. She is, um, (laughs) if you want her genetic makeup, I can give it to you right now. She's 30% American Pitbull Terrier, 20% English Staffordshire Terrier, and then about 10 to to, to 12 to 15% Dalmatian, Golden Retriever, Labrador Retriever with 4% Doberman Pinscher and the rest is super much. And she has I'm beautiful. really doing that makeup in my head. There's some good breeds in there. <laughs> there there's That's some good a breeds. real mix. It's a real mm-hmm. mixed bag. She's got the uh-huh. spots. She has like a white belly. And now as they say that she's four, but her vet and dog trainers have all been like, she's definitely a lot younger than that just by like looking at her gums, but she's developed spots on her, like her white belly, like a Dalmatian, especially when she gets a bath and she has these like beautiful hazel eyes and she'll like really stare like deep into your soul and it always terrifies me because I'm like, are you actually like a genius with a soul? And then she'll do something like eat Spanish rice off the street. And I'm like, oh no, you're a dog. Like you are, you are in fact, you are in fact dog. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Oh, I love it so much. God, I love dogs so much. I do too. Okay. Well, you're just, you are so dear. It's so, I love this conversation. I love you. I love how you are in the world. I'm so thrilled for your success. Like it makes me so happy when good people succeed. I'm so glad for it. I'm thrilled about it. I'm so happy that. that so many Um, watching eyes kind of watch you and learn from you and get a sense of, of who you are and how uh, just this like lovely, gentle way of being in the world. And I'm so thankful that you came on the little show today. And I'm sorry that I missed you when you were in Austin again, but I'm happy that our city was good to you. 
our, your city was could not have been more hospitable or kind to all of us. I think I speak for all of us when I say that. But also, like my bestie Rima, who had her second daughter, literally during you know the storm in in Austin, she moved there a little bit ago, and so she's living there now. So I have all the more reason to 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 go back and visit. Absolutely, if for nothing else, the taco. If so many reasons, else. but like the taco alone is is reason to get on a plane. Yep. That's right. Yep. It sure is. Okay. Well, until you're back, thanks for being on today. Thank you, Jen. He is absolutely darling, you guys. I love how he is in the world. I know I kept saying it to him, but he just kind of has a gentle way of being that I'm drawn to. And I love that he loves people. Wasn't that a great answer? like about what he loved about himself was that he loves well and he loves telling people what he loves about them. I mean, <laughs> I we need that in our lives. I was inspired by that. I was really inspired by that answer and just by him in general. And so I meant it when I told him I am thrilled to, when somebody kind and good-hearted and generous succeeds. And he is definitely one of those. So you guys, if you go over to jenhatbaker.com under the podcast tab, I'll have this entire episode for you, all the show notes. I'll have links to all of Anthony's socials and his cookbooks and everything you want. You can find it in one spot over there. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, do it. And again, if you missed the bonus episode with Anthony about his new cookbook, scroll back and catch, pick one, pick that one up too, because we were such food nerds. I mean, we were talking over each other and <laughs> piling on to all of our favorite things. And anyway, he's so, so great. Thanks for listening. You guys, I hope you love that. I, I hope that you can see that food and kitchen and gathering and feeding people is a part of deep soul care, right? That is nurturing our bodies. It is nurturing the bodies of the people that we love. It's bringing us together around the table. This, this episode deserved a spot in this series, and I'm so glad it was here. So thanks for being here, you guys. See you next week.